Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Hey guys, welcome. Welcome to Midweek. It's good to see y'all. You guys are good looking people in the middle of the week. You made it through the first three days. You're getting ready for the next couple days. And, uh, and, and here we are. My name is Bryson. And uh, I get just the honor of being a pastor here on staff. Uh, I love our church. Uh, I have uh, a family, uh, a wife, two kids, uh, and really just thankful to be here tonight. Um, I was really thankful also to bring the word on Sunday. We're kind of taking a different, uh, you know, kind of section of the Bible today or tonight rather. Uh, we've been in Esther starting last week. So you can open uh, your Bible to the book of Esther. Uh, it's kind of in the middle of the Old Testament, which ends up being about a third of the way through the Bible. Uh, if you uh, see Ezra and Nehemiah, you're in the right area. Or it's so short, you might want to just use the table of contents. You know, you are not judged here. Uh, you know, you go ahead and just do that. No shame in that game. Um, but Esther is really, really an incredible book in the Bible. If you've never read it, it is one, it, it'll just take you like 30 minutes to read from start to finish. It's just 10 chapters, but it really, really is incredible. In one book, you have everything from, you have drama, scandal, war, mystery, corruption, cliffhangers, high stakes, close calls, conspiracies, revenge, and a plot twist. Like a lot happens in 10 chapters. It, uh, it's this story uh, of uh, an unlikely hero having an incredible impact for her people that uh, we see uh, the hand of God all throughout this story. But what makes the book uh, probably one of the more interesting in the Bible is it's actually the only book in the Bible that God is never mentioned. God's never mentioned, uh, and it's not even mentioned uh, of people praying to God, worshiping God, going uh, and offering sacrifices to God, going to a temple, uh, you know, hearing more about God. There's actually, God's not mentioned at all, and so it makes you start to uh, ask these questions because we know that it says in 2 Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed and useful, we know that God has something to say through all of it, so how do we learn about God in a book that God's not even what seems like mentioned? And how do we learn about God in a book that seems uh, that he's not even present? And so uh, tonight, uh, we're gonna look at uh, Esther chapter three, and the question is, what do we do when life is chaos and God is quiet? What do we do when life is chaos and God is quiet? So first, before we get into the, the scripture, we need sort of a little recap. One of my favorite shows, actually my favorite show ever, is uh, Survivor, you know, if you've ever seen it. Yes, it's still on. They're, they're on season 43. What show do you know that has 43 seasons? Anyway, it always starts with previously on Survivor. So this is previously in Esther. Before chapter three, uh, there, there are really four main characters in Esther. Uh, there's Xerxes, Esther, Mordecai, and Haman. So Xerxes, who we learned a lot about last week, is the narcissist king. Uh, who's, he uses kingdom resources for his own vanity, throwing celebrations and festivals uh, just to stroke his ego. There's Esther, who's the hero. She's a a beautiful Jewish girl brought into the palace by Xerxes' men with six other young women as a candidate to be the next queen. That's where we find her in this uh, portion of the story. Mordecai, 
is Esther's older cousin who ended up raising her as his own. Esther uh, was taken, uh, when Esther was taken, he got a job at the entrance of the palace to keep an eye on her. So that's where Mordecai finds himself in the story. And here we get introduced to Haman, the villain of the story. He's uh, someone who was recently promoted to the highest official. uh, And he's also got a bit of an ego. So where we last left our hero, uh, the the king's wife, uh, Queen Vashti, uh, was insubordinate and kind of disrespectful, so she's been banished. Esther had been taken uh, against her will to be one of the captives, one of the concubines in the king's palace to kind of audition for the new opening uh, in the throne of the queen, uh, and she actually gets chosen. So Esther is now the queen, uh, and meanwhile, Mordecai overhears a conspiracy to overthrow Xerxes and reports it. And here we land in chapter three. So we're gonna go kind of skim through the chapter three. We're gonna jump a a few verses just for the sake of of seeing the overarching story. Uh, And so we're gonna read uh, from the New Living Translation. uh, And here it'll be on the screen as well. But it says this, sometime later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamedatha, the key is if you're ever preaching and you don't know how to say it, if you say it with confidence, everyone just thinks you're right. You just say it like you know how to say it, and then that's just life hack for you. Uh, the Agai get over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All of the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded. But Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said, There's a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it pleases the king, issue a decree that they may be destroyed, and I will give 10,000 large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury. So on April 17th, the king's secretaries were summoned and a decree was written exactly as Haman dictated. It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors uh, of the respective provinces and the nobles of each province in their own scripts and languages. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated in one single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7th of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples so that they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. God, we we thank you for your word. 
and we pray that you would speak through this. God, when life is chaos and it seems like you're quiet, Lord, we choose to hear from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So if you look through that, not looking super good for Esther. Like, things are not looking great. If you read through that, uh, I don't know if that's really the scripture anyone's gonna get tattooed on their forearm. No one's gonna put it on their cleats. This is not the thing you post about. This is not like the, you know, uh, the, the thing that you wake up and you're like, yes, yeah, so I want some encouragement. Let's read Esther 3. Let's just, let's just go in, God, please just speak to me through Esther 3. No, it's probably not gonna be that. But that kind of brings us back to this theme of what do we do when life is chaos and God is quiet. And I really think, though, that even on the surface level where it seems like God isn't mentioned, we know that God put this in Scripture for a purpose. Uh, and where we pick up in the story, Esther is in trouble, uh, in the palace against her will, and she's effectively a captive. Uh, she has a decree out for the annihilation of her people. Her cousin has made a rival of one of the highest-ranking officials in Xerxes' regime, and if she's going to do anything about it, she's risking her life. And this is the book that it looks like God is silent in. Not when things are peaceful or the, the book about there's someone who had a great opportunity. No, in the book where everything is chaotic, it seems like God is quiet. So what do we do when life is chaos and God is quiet. I think if we look at the book of Esther, we can find some answers to that. So if there was a title to this sermon, it's what do we do when God is silent? Six insights from the book of Esther. So we're gonna go through uh, six things that I, I believe that Esther, uh, the book of Esther shows us on, on how we can react because I don't know about you, but there's been seasons in my life where it felt like God had nothing to say. Times where it seemed like everything was falling off the rails, and I, and I was like, God, where are you? God, what do you want me to do? God, uh, how should I uh, play in this situation? What should I uh, contribute in, in this way or that way? God, what do you want me to do? And it seems like there's nothing coming from the other end, and my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. I don't know if you've ever had that. Maybe it's just me. Maybe this is just my time to have a confession about how bad of a Christian I am sometimes. But it's, there's times where I feel like God has nothing to say and I feel a lot like the disciples where in, they're in the storm and the storm is everywhere and Jesus is asleep. And you start to have this question of like, God, are you really in control of this? God, if you are, do you just not care? God, do you, do you just not have a plan? And these questions start filling your mind and, and you start walking through seeing the disparity behind, between uh, what you feel like should be happening and, and what you feel like is, is reality. And uh, we have these questions when it feels like God is silent. And, and the first thing I think we can draw from the book of Esther as a whole <clears throat> is that when God is silent, it doesn't mean he's absent. When God is silent, it doesn't mean that he's absent. 
throughout this book from unexpected change of hearts to uh, perfect timing. God is working behind the scenes through the entire book. And through the entire book, there are things that, that seem to be happenstance, but uh, we see that even though he's not mentioned, God's in control over this whole situation that piece by piece as it comes together, even when things seem quiet on the side of God's end, just because he's silent doesn't mean he's absent, that there is uh, something happening. There's a song that we, that we sing, uh, even when I can't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. And so uh, the takeaway here is that while we're waiting, God is working. That when it seems like there's nothing going on, something is going on, that uh, when God is silent, it doesn't mean he's absent. I think uh, a second thing that we take from the book of Esther is that we need to recognize when when God seems silent and life seems chaotic, we need to remember, we have the advantage here in Esther that we can see chapter three as just a chapter in a big story right, that it doesn't end at chapter three because we're reading it thousands of years later. We see that there's some stuff before and some stuff after. And so when life is chaos and God is quiet, the second thing that I think Esther tells us is to recognize that the story isn't over. The second thing is to recognize that the story isn't over. And I'm sure uh, that you have read a story, seen a story, heard a story, uh, watched a movie that was a story, but all stories pretty much look like this. There's a roller coaster uh, that that sort of walks us through. uh, Kind of pretty much any story ever written has some form of this. There's some form of normal, and there's an inciting incident. And then there's rising action. How are they going to solve it? What's, oh, more things are going wrong. There's this big conflict that needs to be resolved. And that's where the climax is. Are they going to make it? Then there's falling action as the pieces start to come together, ultimately to get to a resolution, a happy ending. Uh, you know that if there's not a happy ending, there's probably a sequel. Like, you know that the story, the guy gets the girl, the, the hero saves the day. Uh, it's, it's not a good story if there's not a happy ending, and if it's, you know, there's not a happy ending, there's probably more to come. And, and so realizing that the story isn't over, I think is such a great takeaway from the book of Esther, because we can see from our vantage point that there's more. Let's just leave that up for a second. Uh, it, it, we can see there's more to the story, but in the moment, it seems like the story's ending. For us, when we're going through a season of chaos and it feels like God is quiet, we feel like this is the end, but Esther shows us that it's not. We're just in the rising action portion. Like in this moment, it feels like stuff is crazy if you don't realize that there's the rest of the roller coaster. Like if you don't realize uh, that the book doesn't keep going, then it, it seems that it's not just chaotic, but it's cataclysmic. Like it's over. Like, but when we realize that the story isn't over and we realize that the difficult season is one chapter in a really, really, really long and beautiful story, it gives us the perspective to say, no, 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 I know God's gonna do something. Now, I might not have read chapter four or read chapter five or read chapter six, but I know my God, and this situation is that. It's just a situation. It's not the entire story. Recognizing that the story isn't over, that the difficult season is one chapter in a beautiful story of God's redemption. 
In the book, uh, Man's Search for Meaning uh, by Viktor Frankl, he talks about Jews in concentration camps and the biggest definer of those who, uh, who survived the entire experience or who passed away was if they were able to or if they held on to the vision of what life would be like in the future. That the people who uh, were able to survive that entire experience uh, were those who, who said, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna see my wife again one day. No, I'm gonna hold my kids again one day. No, I'm gonna go back to my job. I'm gonna rebuild my house. Those who kept that vision in front of them were the ones who survived and those who didn't have hope. It was so much easier uh, for, for them to not value life and, and, and you know, that we, we need a purpose to survive. Like it is a physical need in each of us to have this and when we recognize that the story isn't over, we have something to keep us going. When it feels like God isn't speaking and life is insane, when we recognize the story isn't over, we can keep on moving. The third thing I think that we see in Esther, or the third, I guess, insight that I think we get from Esther, give God credit for the coincidences. We need to give God credit for the coincidences. Now Esther, not to give too much away, uh, but I really do think you'd benefit if you uh, chose to read all the way through it. As we're kind of going through, you, you know, you might be doing the Purple Book, maybe you're doing the, you know, the New Testament chapter. There's a lot of ways that you can you know, be growing in God, but if you choose to read through Esther, I think you'll get a lot out of it. Uh, but if you see, it's a story full of coincidences seeming coincidences. It seems that you can, uh, you know, chalk up a lot of the victory to some good timing and just some good old-fashioned dumb luck. Like, there's just things that just seem like, wait a second, that, that, that shouldn't have worked like that, but it did. Oh, wait a second. So, I mean, I mean instances such as uh, someone who is supposed to be, uh, Haman comes in eventually, just some, you know, it's, it's not really a spoiler alert. The book's been out for like thousands of years. If you haven't read it, I'm, I'm just gonna say. So, you know, Mordecai and Haman uh, become rivals in a way and Haman having a level of authority says, you know what, let's build some gallows for, uh, for Mordecai. We're gonna hang him like this. I'm just gonna figure this thing out. And the day he's coming to see the king to say, hey, here's the plan, is the same day that the king has a dream the night before remembering Mordecai and going, hey, we should do something to honor him. And so as Haman's walking into the courts, uh, he's walking in at the same time as Mordecai and the king gives Mordecai this promotion the day that he almost lost his life. That seems like a coincidence, like, oh my gosh, how did that happen? Other coincidences, such as uh, the timeline for, for when the Jews were going to be exterminated or, or uh, annihilated, uh, coinciding al almost creepily to Esther taking these roles. It's such a, a cliffhanger, such a down-to-the-wire thing that it just couldn't be a coincidence. It seems like a series of coincidences and dumb luck, but when we give God credit for the coincidences we start to build a practice of seeing God in the normal. When we start to see God in the normal, then we can hold on to him in the abnormal. Like when we start giving God credit for the coincidences in our life. I love this quote from William Temple. He says, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. 
I love that insight in, into prayer just because it's so true that when you have a life of prayer, it just seem like, seems like some stuff just works out. And when we view it as just that, a random happenstance, and not God being God and God being in control, uh, then we're not practicing seeing God in the normal so when life gets abnormal, we have a harder time finding him. But if we, if we want to find God in the abnormal, we have to see him in the normal. And I just, I, I, I love this, like God gives us almost this challenge, like in a book that he doesn't mention himself, almost this challenge of like, can I just find God? Can I find God? Because God is active all the time. Like God is active all of the time. And if God just lives on the corner of Granny White and Old Hickory, is he really God? Like if God is only able to move when you have your Bible open, like is that really God? If God only lives at summer camp or the next conference or the next men's conference, women's conference, Bible study, if God only lives there, is he really God? No. God keeps moving after your devotional time. And like God keeps moving after you leave Sunday service. And God keeps moving after you have that spiritual moment of prayer. Like God is active all the time. Like after you finish your morning time of prayer, God doesn't just, you know, put his feet up and relax and say, man, I'm off the hook until they pray for dinner. That's not how it works. God is working and moving all of the time, and we can look for God in the normal so when life gets abnormal, we can hold on to him. If we look for him in the normal, we can hold on to him in the abnormal. And so uh, I, I love that Esther shows us that we need to give God credit for the coincidences. Because while we're waiting, God is working. The fourth thing I think it shows us is when you can't hear God, let God speak through others. When you can't hear God, let God speak through others. We saw the, you know, the, the rising action uh, in uh, Esther 3 when he starts to, uh, to go through all the things, you know, of, uh, of we're going to set this decree, we're going to annihilate the Jews, all of these, uh, you know, different uh, kind of terrible situations uh, that they walk through. Uh, and so as it goes on in Esther 4, Esther doesn't know what to do. She's in this position of power uh, and the people that, that uh, she comes from are about to get annihilated and, and so it doesn't have this moment where it says Esther you know, uh, bowed down to God and God spoke to her so clearly and all uh, of this stuff. She has a conversation with Mordecai, her cousin. And in the beginning of the conversation, her attitude is self-preservation and I don't know if we can do this and, and somehow by the end, something changes. That somehow there's this infusion of purpose that comes from Mordecai. There's this, uh, in this exchange, God is speaking and inputting uh, purpose and vision. Uh, I said it on Sunday, that you, you can't fulfill the purpose of God on your life without the people of God in your life. And I think it's true in every situation. If you can't hear God, let someone else help you. If you feel like you can't, like God isn't speaking, and a lot of times it can feel like that when emotions are high, when there's, you know, the stakes are high, when it's gonna be a really big decision, and you need people in your life that aren't afraid to offend you. 
Like, have you ever noticed, like, if you ever watch, I know no one in here has ever watched The Bachelor, Bachelorette, any, like, just reality TV craziness, uh, like, but, like, when someone's, like, crying, and, and they're like, oh, someone's so hurt my feelings, there's always a person, like, comforting that person, and the other person's crying, and they're like, oh, someone's so hurt my feelings, and then there's someone comforting that person. Somebody's wrong. You know what I mean? It's like, no, no, you're right. They're a jerk. That's, that's the worst. How could they do that? No, 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 you're right. They're a jerk. They're, how could they do that? No, no, like, somebody's wrong. And so, like, if we only have people like that in our lives that are just going to pat our backs and go, you're right, they're a jerk. You should, like, you're always, it's not going to be the way you're going to hear from God. Like, I love Pastor Rice says, every step you take in the wrong direction, you're going to find someone who tells you you're doing the right thing. There's always gonna be somebody. So that's not what I'm talking about. When you can't hear from God, let God speak through others. Find someone you trust. Find someone who's been following Jesus just a little bit longer than you. Find someone who's been married just a little bit longer than you, who's been single just a little bit longer than you, who's uh, walked through life just a couple steps ahead that you trust and and say, am I I wrong? Because I'll tell you, the dumbest stuff I almost did was stopped by someone who loved me enough to offend me. The dumbest stuff I almost did was stopped by someone who loved me enough to offend me. And if you have somebody in your life that when life is chaos and God is quiet, you can come and say, hey, here's where I'm at. I don't know what to do. I don't know what direction to turn or, or, or what way to go. If you have someone who says, hey, you might not want to hear this. Because that's what happens in this exchange. Esther is saying, okay, Mordecai, good luck, buddy. Good, you, you know, good, good luck. You, you, you got this probably. Like, hey, you know, you're kind of embarrassing yourself a little bit, but like, good luck. And Mordecai is the one that says, no, Esther, you have some skin in the game too. Esther's like, hey, or Mordecai's like, hey, I don't think you're seeing the full picture. This includes you, and you have a role to play in the solution. It's not what Esther wanted to hear, but she needed somebody else. When you can't hear God, let God speak uh, through somebody else, because if you're the only person giving yourself advice, you're not going to do the right thing, I promise. Because if Esther was only taking her own advice, she would have talked herself out of her destiny. She started the conversation by saying, uh, you know, let's have this move of self-preservation. Let's have uh, this attitude of, um, uh, of you know, kind of I'm going to do my thing. I'm just going to kind of keep a low profile. But somehow by the end, God has infused destiny and vision. If she didn't have, I'm sorry, if she had only been giving herself advice, she would have talked herself out of her destiny. And I think about how many people have talked themselves out of their own destiny because they didn't involve somebody else? The dumbest stuff I almost did was stopped because somebody loved me enough to offend me. The fifth thing, when life is chaos and God is quiet, Hold on to what you know is true. When life is chaos and God is quiet, hold on to what you know is true. When you can't hear God, hold on to what you know is true. 
there's something that, uh, you, that um, when there's floods and, and stuff, Tennessee gets a lot of floods. Um, you know, you've seen them over the last couple of years. There's even been some in 2010. There's that massive one, you know, like we're in an area that, that can get floods. And, and there's a situation, there's different levels of, of kind of um, severe, severity of, you know, a flood. At one level, the, the advice from a first responder or from an expert or whatever is, is get out, right? Get out, pack your bags, you know, and, and go, because you can still drive, but you just got to get the heck out of there. Uh, another level is, okay, you can't drive, but find a way. Find a way to get out of uh, this situation. Another one is, okay, stuff, uh, you, you probably either need to swim or you need to, you know, get in a boat. You got to get out. But at a certain level, it reaches a point where the only move that they say is you need to find something that's unshakable and you need to hold on with everything you have. It's not time uh, to run, that, that time's passed. It's not time to start swimming, that time's passed. It's not time to find a friend that has a boat, that time's passed. You need to find something that's unshakable, immovable, and hold on with everything you have. And when life is chaotic and God is quiet, that's the move. Find something that's unshakable, something that you absolutely know is true. Maybe it's a scripture you need to stand on. Maybe it's a small group you need to keep on going to. Maybe it's a relationship you need to hold on to. Maybe it's a prophetic word that someone has given you in the past you need to hold on to. But it's not the time when emotions are high, stakes are high. There's not the time to make a big life-altering decision. It's not a time to say, oh, here's a revelation of scripture no one's ever had ever. But I think God's saying this to me. He's not. If, if, like, if, if you're ever, just ever in life, like, it doesn't matter, God's quiet, God's loud, anything, if you ever, like, are reading scripture and God showed you something that he's never, ever showed anyone ever in all of history, you're wrong. Like, it's not, that's not it. That's, that's for free. You just, you take that, do with it what you want. But hold on to something immovable. When you can't hear God, hold on to what you know is true. Because there's things you have in this story and coming out of Esther 3, you have Mordecai, and he's put in this situation. There's a new sheriff in town, Haman, and the kind of the, the rule is, hey, you gotta bow when I show up. You show, I'm a somebody, doggone it. You're gonna bow. Uh, but Haman says, okay, well, uh, here's uh, this kind of decree, but what I know is true is that I'm not supposed to bow before any other God or someone claiming to be God, and so uh, I, I just gotta hold on to that. I don't, God's not being super evident right now, but I, I do know that. I'm just gonna hold on. And sometimes you're put in a situation, whether it's at work or at school or uh, with your friends or, or, or wherever, where it's like maybe God isn't being super clear in, in the moment, but you're put in kind of a, maybe a compromising thing. You're like, well, I know God said this, and until I hear otherwise, I'm going to stick with this. Like, until I hear otherwise from God, I'm going to stick with this. And the sixth thing that I think we can pull from the book of Esther is focus less on what you want him to do and more on who he wants you to become. Focus less on what you want him to do and more on who he wants you to become. When life is chaos and God is quiet, it's so tempting to put your finger to the sky and say, God, if you would just change this, 
God, if you would just fix this, God, if you would just change that person's heart, do this in that person, give me the promotion, start my business, launch my podcast, write my book, if you would just give me the platform that everything would be fixed, it's time though when life is chaos and God is quiet to stop pointing the finger, focus less on what you want him to do and more on who he wants you to become because so often it's not about, hey, Bryson, go do this. God's so rarely asking me to do stuff so much as he's putting me in position so I can become something. When life is hard, I love in, in James chapter one, uh, it, it says, consider a great joy when you face trials because these trials are building something in you. It's perseverance. Perseverance leads to faith. Your faith, it says in First Peter, is being purified as gold when you go through great trials. That when stuff is hard, God is doing something in you. Focus less on what you want him to do and more on who he wants you to become. God, what are you building in me? in this season and so when it comes to a a season that seems like God is silent that you can't hear him because we've all been there and and are going to be there again and you know can think of someone else who is there we need to remember that God being silent doesn't mean that God is absent we need to remember that the story isn't over that there are more chapters in the book of life that are to come. And if it's getting hard, that means it's about to get really good. That if you're going up the roller coaster, you know that God has a resolution on the other side. And that other side might even be on the other side of eternity, but we know that life is not limited to the years we have on earth, but God has something better for us. That the story isn't over. However hard or difficult it gets, the story isn't over. We need to remember when life is chaotic and God is quiet, not only the story isn't over, but we need to remember to give God credit for the coincidences. Find what he is doing, not focus on what he isn't. What is God doing in the situation right now? Where can I find Jesus? We need to give God credit for the coincidences We need to let God speak through others. Keep going to your small group. Keep on showing up at church. Keep on being in the lives of the people that you know love God and serve him and want to help you do the same things. It's like I was saying on Sunday, it's like putting bumpers on your bowling alley. It's no longer about you figuring out the perfect strike, but you have someone on your left and someone on your right pushing you into your destiny, helping you out when you keep showing up in these relationships. Even if you can't hear God, you're putting yourself in a position to be used by God, pushed towards God. You have someone on your left saying, hey, hey, no, 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 take a step this way. Someone on your right saying, no, no, hey, hey, take a step this way. And all of a sudden, you're gonna find yourself smack dab in the middle of your purpose because you surrounded yourself with the right people, the purpose of God in your life can only be fulfilled with the people of God in your life. We need to make sure that we hold on to what is true, that we stand on scripture, we stand on the promises of God, we stand on what we know is unshakable when the flood comes, when life is chaos and God is quiet. We need to hold on to something that will not float away. 
And lastly, we need to focus less on what you want him to do and more on who he wants you to become. I love that the Esther we're introduced to in chapter two is not the Esther that we see in chapter 10. The Esther we're introduced to in chapter two is put into a really terrible situation. She's put into a situation uh, that she's uh, a captive against her will, uh, but it it goes from uh, someone who's timid and unsure of what she's going to do next to someone who saves her entire people. That uh, in the midst of this story of Esther, in these 10 chapters, we such a beautiful character development of our our leading role that in the beginning she's unsure and only wants to focus on, uh, you know, kind of staying beneath the radar, and by the end she saves her entire people in a moment of chaos the the prayer shouldn't be God change this the prayer should be God change me God change me help me God help me to find you help me to see you help me to to love you to know you Help me not be afraid to stand on the scriptures. God, help me not be afraid to, uh, to have faith when it's hard, when it's difficult. God, help me be more like you. Use this situation as a, an opportunity to purify my faith, to build perseverance, to make me stronger. God, help me focus less on what I want you to do and more about who you want me to become. And as we wrap up, Just remember that while we're waiting, God is working. While we're waiting, God is working. And there's some people right now, whether you're online or in the room, that feel like God's quiet right now. And you're here because you uh, are looking, you're desperate for somebody to help you. You're desperate for God to speak. You're desperate for God to move because uh, the situation is in your face right now. But the hope and the message of Jesus is that he's near to the brokenhearted, that he's here, he's present in the chaos, he's present in uh, the, the midst of, of heartache and heartbreak, that uh, you have a God, no other religion has a, a message that isn't how we get to God, but it's a message of how God came to us. And the message of Jesus, he's here in the midst of your pain, he's here in the midst of uh, what feels like chaos and tragedy, that uh, we have a God who's come to meet with you. He draws near to the brokenhearted. And some people right now are feeling like God is being silent. And if we just remember some of these things, the story isn't over, that we remember that God's still present even when it feels like he's absent or when he's silent, that others can speak through him. I feel like there's breakthrough as we embrace some of those truths. Will you stand with me as we pray? Jesus, we thank you. God, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your presence. And Lord, we thank you for your word. God, would you continue in each of us? God, a work that you started. God, help us persevere when life gets hard. And when it feels like you're quiet, God, and when it feels like life is chaotic, Lord, would you continue to build something in us? God, would you change us 
before you change the situation, God. And for those who right now are, are in the midst of uh, trials and, and just uh, complete chaos in their life, God, I pray for peace. God, I pray for wisdom. I pray that you'd send godly people into the situation, God, to help them sort it out. God, I pray that you would make room uh, where it seems like there's no room and a way where it seems like there's no way. Lord, I pray that you would speak clearer than you ever have before, uh, whether it's through another medium or or another mean, rather, uh, or directly, God. We pray right now in this room, uh, let's, let's just take 30 seconds and even in your mind, pray for someone in your life that you feel like needs to touch from God, needs to hear from God. Let's pray by name, under your breath or in your mind. God, we pray for these people, our family members, our friends, our coworkers, our community members, and Lord, we, we ask that you would speak to them. God, that you would move in their lives, God, that you would be present, that you'd make yourself known. God, lastly, we just thank you that you are findable. Lord, that through your son Jesus, you've made yourself known, as it says in John 1. God, you tell us if we seek you, we'll find you. So God, we seek you in the midst of mystery, God, and when life is hard and chaotic and you seem silent, God, we know you're not, and we choose to press into you, even in the difficult times, Lord, we thank you, we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.